0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You heard her. Go subscribe.
0: Hello and welcome to Uncorking Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today I'm pleased to introduce you to Matthew Frey, a relationship coach and writer who leans on the lessons of his failed marriage and divorce to help others avoid making the same mistakes he did. His writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Sunday Times, the Huffington Post, Babel, and many more. His blog, Must Be This Tall to Ride, I love the name of that, by the way, uh, has a dedicated following and has reached millions of readers. And filtered through the lens of his own surprising, life-changing experience and his years counseling couples, his book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships, exposes the root problem of so many relationships that go wrong. We simply haven't been taught any of the necessary skills, Matthew explains. And here to talk about that and so much more is today's guest, Matthew Frey. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Matthew.
1: Mike, sir, thank you so much for having me. I really (laughs) appreciate this.
0: I'm not used to so many people calling me sir, Um, but (laughs) I will ask you the first question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, which is where does your story begin?
1: I think that, you know, I mean, I could start talking about 1979 in the the hospital where I was born, but I think the relevant story begins um, on April 1st, very close to right now, nine years ago, 2013, um, I came home from work and my wife was packing a suitcase and she packed it up and she took our four-year-old at the time. And I want to be very careful about not painting an image of like an angry wife kidnapping our son. She assured me I would see him in like a day or two. It was nothing like sinister. It was just so ugly and, and, and broken feeling the whole moment. And she put the suitcase in her Jeep and, you know, our son in the car and she drove away. And it was like the single most awful moment of, of my life that I can ever remember. And I cried a little and vomited in the sink. And it was a real, it was a real show. And um, over the next few months, I felt so awful. And it was the first time in my life I'd ever, I didn't know like the human body could, I'd never suffered. It turned out I'd lived a charmed life. I'd never suffered before. And like for the first time I experienced what I perceived to be suffering. And I want to be damn careful about acting like this super privileged existence i've lived compares to you know people in ukraine and the people who are dealing with some really really awful things it's just relatively speaking i'd never felt really awful but i finally had a taste of it and when i finally had a taste of it i was like i need to protect myself from having this happen again and so began like the work i i really got to work on reading books having conversations reading articles trying to figure out what happened so like I got a little drunk one night and I called a therapist. I'd never talked to a therapist before. Uh, It was the only time I ever did was that one time. And otherwise I'd probably be a less neurotic human being. (laughs) And she said, hey, Matt, you're a writer. Why don't you just write about this stuff? Because it's really cathartic and it really helps. And I think like all of the adults in the room would have like written in a private journal. And I'm confident that's what she intended. But instead, like I drank more vodka and I started a WordPress blog and I put it on the internet. I didn't think anybody would read it. I really didn't, but I just started like writing these little stories and it started out as like, must be this tall to ride is reference to when I was trying to online date. I'm only five, nine. And like women who were like five, two were like, you must be six, one, or I'm not going out with you. (laughs) And I was devastated. I didn't actually know I was short until i got divorced and started online dating hey look for the record five nine is not that short i mean i'm i'm five ten and i feel okay about it right i understand that that's funny i was i I once had the the pleasure of talking to ryan seacrest and he said that exact thing to me because i think he's an inch shorter than i am he like defended the height thing i'm like i'm not ryan seacrest though ryan you know you know that
0: bastard though that bastard is skinny right so he can pull off being short because the camera makes him look taller
1: yeah Um, he's also a ridiculously attractive man like i don't look like ryan seacrest and i i had a kid and i got all this gray hair and nick you know i don't go to the gym as often as i should and things like that like i had issues um that that you know ryan i don't think does but i don't want (laughs) to So, I, I mean, to demonize I, that man, but I, I think that's so hilarious. I definitely want to dig into sort
0: of like post-divorce, but but I want to spend a little time talking just about the story, kind of leading up to you know your wife taking your four-year-old and packing up the jeep and leaving and kind of throwing a big curveball at you. I mean, in in hindsight, did could you see it coming, or kind of just paint a picture of what what was kind of happening and 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 maybe
1: why it happened? Well. So, the why will have to come later because that was the the why is the epiphany, right? And I didn't know it yet. But what I thought was happening in real time was we lost my father in law maybe two years before she moved out. And it's often, I think any marriage counselor or therapist will tell you, it's often a really significant traumatic event like that that will sort of expose a relationship that lacks foundational things it needs. My relationship lacked it, lacked finance. Uh, foundational things it needed but i i didn't know yeah i still thought like i was a loving supportive husband despite our occasional spats and disagreements and things like that we lose our father like out of nowhere and it was it was awful um and i'm not sure how long it was after i really don't remember six months maybe But we're sitting at the dinner table one night and she looks at me and she's like "Matt, i don't know if I want to be in this marriage anymore I don't know if I love you anymore and I think the really mature adult thing would have been to like pause and reflect and say wow that's like a shock a and b I feel awful that like whatever she's going through that I've been like this disconnected from it I should seek to understand what's going on but that's not what I did what I did was I made it all about me And I felt sorry for myself. And I pouted and I moved out of the bedroom because I'm not going to sleep next to somebody who's going to just like quit on our marriage like that. That was seriously the like five-year-old thought that I had at the time. I moved into the guest room and I felt sorry for myself almost the entire time until maybe two, three months before she left. And that's like when I started doing work. I started like, I I read a book called um, How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It by uh, Patricia Love and Stephen Stosny. And I'm not recommending that book as like the end all be all relationship book, although I think it's perfectly lovely, but it's the book that did it for me. It's the book that flipped the proverbial light switch. And I said, oh my God, like other people's relationships are exactly like my relationship. And what delights me is that I give that same experience to other people today. Like I tell my story as we get into the why here, I I tell my story and they're like, oh my God, Matt, it's like, you have like a camera in our kitchen or our living room and you know what's going on. So At the time, the story I told in my head was my wife was grieving, understandably, the loss of her father. But the thing she was doing wrong was she was allowing the grief of her father's passing to like usurp the importance of our marriage. She was allowing this external thing to mean more to her than our marriage. And so she was jeopardizing it and jeopardizing like us being together for our son. I kid you not, I really thought that's what was going on. And then I pouted about it and blamed her and she went away. Well, I started doing work and I started learning about like healthy relationships and it didn't take me an enormous amount of time to recognize in all of these books and articles and conversations with people infinitely wiser than I am that what actually happened was the result of my behavior regardless of how decent I thought I was regardless of how well-intentioned I was regardless of how much I loved my wife the math results of things I said and did equaled pain for her over and over again. And those painful moments accumulated and her attempts to recruit me to cooperate with her and eliminating the pain from her life. And from me, like doing or not doing things that were like rolling downhill and adversely affecting her, all, all attempts to recruit me to do it fell on deaf ears and resulted in me defending myself or. I don't know if we want to get into like the mechanics of what I work on in my coaching work, but that that's where we destroy our relationships are in those little teeny tiny moments where we fail to calculate for the harm we cause a and B we can't have a successful conversation with somebody when they come to us and they seem to be suggesting that we're responsible for the pain they feel. We're uniquely gifted at like not healing that in real time as it's happening. Yeah. And then and that, that was my problem in my marriage. And frankly, it's most people's problems in their relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's this, I think there's this natural <laughs> inclination um, in, in many personal relationships, not just romantic ones, um, where we look and say, well, you know what? This, this can't be my fault. You look, you look for some external reason, right? Um, you know, wh- why are sales down this month? Well, it's COVID, it's the economy. Um, you know, and then so we, we naturally, I think, kind of deflect our own personal responsibility. Um, you know, versus taking the cues and hints from people. Now, maybe those cues and hints are not, you know, overt enough. Um, you know, I don't think we, we need to place all the blame on ourselves. Sure. But, um, you know, they're, they're, I think that is like a natural human tendency. I'm sure there's some like evolutionary reason for it, although I, I wouldn't know what it is. I
1: am um, guilty of having believed my wife did an ineffective job of communicating what was wrong to me. You know, there's a way for me to think, man, if she had just said it this different way. And the way that I talk about it today is like, I don't mean literally today, but like present day is when we want to communicate that we're hurt because of something someone else is doing, let's disassociate character from the behavior. So I want to say to somebody, if I'm a wife, particularly because this is such a common dynamic in male, female relationships or girlfriend or whoever. If I want to like communicate to my partner that something's wrong, that something he or she's doing that's hurting me, I want to make darn sure they know I'm not suggesting they they have malintentions, that they're bad, or even that what they're doing is bad. I know you're not trying to hurt me. I know you love me. I'm not suggesting that you're trying to like make my life hard or that you don't love me. I'm really not. But I need you to understand that something's wrong. Like I wish my wife had like approached it that way. She didn't. You know, she was like, but, but the way that I talk about it in my coaching work with like the guys that are really defensive is like, I hear you because I thought exactly the same thing in my marriage. However, I, I, I'm asking you, begging you to accept personal responsibility for being the first domino to fall. I know that you and I don't think she should think that we don't think she should feel that. However, you've done or not done something. And I'm not saying it was bad that triggered pain and the work is showing up effectively for that person who feels awful about whatever happened instead of trying to convince them they shouldn't think what they think or feel what they feel which is what I did in my relationship and it's something in the book I refer to as the invalidation triple threat Mm -hmm. it's the three distinct ways we are habitually invalidating our romantic partners when we disagree with the thing they're saying happened or the thing they're saying hurts. And I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but to me, mechanically speaking, it's the worst thing we do because it does, it seems so benign. It seems so like regular and vanilla and not a problem. And I have this very strong belief that nothing erodes trust in our relationships with more consistency than that.
0: Yeah. It's It's almost, it's a way of invalidating people, you know, invalidating their feelings. Um, Which you know, I think is, is, I think we're all guilty of that somehow. You know, we're all guilty of some level of gaslighting um, because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't always think that things are a fault. Like you look at yourself and say, you know, but but I'm a good guy. I'm a good provider. Um, I've never cheated on you. Uh, You know, I I do so much for you. I've given up so much for you. But when somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm not feeling right about this," you know, to turn it around and say, "Well, that's," you know, in, in effect, say well that's your problem or you're too sensitive or or whatever um, nothing's going to erode a feeling of of trust or or companionship more than
1: than that yeah i, I mean I, I i strongly believe it's the number one marriage killer in the world yeah is when when your partner can't trust you to hear them say hey something's wrong and i'm trying to like recruit you to help me with it when you reject that 100% of the time that you don't agree with it, or you don't think they should feel that way, or you don't want to accept any responsibility for that. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't, but it might make you a bad relationship partner. Mm -hmm. And even if we want to debate whether it makes you a bad relationship partner, I think it's sensible for the other person to lose trust in you. It doesn't mean they think you're a liar. It doesn't mean they think you're a cheater. It means I don't have confidence that in the future, when something hurts, when something's wrong, when life is hard, that I can bring it to my relationship partner and feel loved and supported with this like bad thing that I'm going through. And when somebody gets to that point, they lose hope that the relationship can be healthy. And they start to think, man, do I really want to voluntarily subject myself to this 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? I only have so much life left. Yeah. Do I want to spend the rest of it feeling this awful, this invisible, this unloved, this disrespected. And again, a lot of people, I think particularly guys might not think that's fair and that's fine. we don't have to have relationships. We don't have to have marriages. It's fine to choose not to, but if we want relationships, if we want marriages, I, I think we need to take this idea seriously that people will be hurt, whether we think they should be or not. And if we don't cooperate in trying to help heal that hurt, even if it's a teeny tiny thing, like a dish by the sink or laundry on the bedroom floor or whatever, like, even if it seems like this like benign, harmless thing, we must heal the negative experience our partners have consistently, else they will not trust us. And then we, we, we don't get to have good relationships anymore.
0: Yeah. Then at some point in time, you just think to yourself, gosh, if you've been hurt like that over and over and over again, and, and the message isn't getting through, like my, in, in my own marriage, I tell my wife all the time, like when there are clothes, when there are folded clothes that are not mine on my side of the bed, it sends them at night it sends the message that you don't want me there. Like I've literally said that, I don't know, a hundred times. So, so last week, last up, week I, it's reversed, right? So last yeah. week I go in the room and my side of the bed is littered with clothes. And I'm like, uh, she's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, well, you know, the whole side of the bed, you know, I can't get in the bed because, and I, like I told you over the years, I feel like you don't want me here. And then she like turns it around and, and makes it my fault. Um, so they, so I, I can definitely understand, you know, from the other point of view, mm. what, what you're saying, actually, what I'm curious about is how long were you and your wife together, not just married, but together before
1: 12 years romantically. Okay. We met when we were 18 or 19 freshman year of college, but we got together when we were 21. Okay. Is when like the relationship truly became a. I rela- I mean, children yeah. We were kids. I didn't know we were kids, but we were kids. We were, you know. Yeah. Same thing. I met my wife, my, my second day of my freshman year in, in college. Um, Engaged at 24, married at 25, parents at 29. And I'm 43 now, just turned. And yeah. it feels, I mean, that was a lifetime ago, it seems like. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's interesting because you weren't somebody for so long, you know, you kind of grow up together. That's what my wife and I always say. It's like, you know, we, we kind of grew up together. Um, that we still miss these these cues. We still miss these opportunities for even having conversations uh, about it. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of avoiding conflict or avoiding, you know, sharing how I feel about something. Partly it's because, you know, I'm afraid of what the reaction is I'm going to get. So there's, there's that. The other part is, you know, God, you know, I'll just ignore it for a while and things will get better. Neither one is a great...
1: <laughs> Neither one is a great no, solution. I, I want to be really, really cautious about saying words that anyone might interpret as me suggesting that your wife's not showing up effectively in your marriage. But I would like to reiterate, because what you just said to me is so important, because it really, to me, paints like this ultra personal like picture of it. It's like it's not that you can't like trust your wife, not in the general sense of can I trust my wife or not the way I think most people think about it, but like you don't trust that if you say, hey, this thing, it's wrong, like it something sucks and it feels bad and I, I need you to get it. You don't trust that that's going to have a positive outcome. Not, not just in the selfish way, not just for you, but for anybody. You don't trust that's going to go well. Yeah. And in the absence of that trust, I feel like you can't have as much connection and intimacy as would be optimum for your relationship. I would never suggest that it's doomed to fail because that condition exists. Certainly not. You say... How long have you guys known each other were you i mean 30 years yeah long time i mean so i promise i'm not implying that but i do believe that is one of the primary conditions that contribute to trust erosion in relationships and it's just a problem and i i, I think people should take it seriously i think we should accept responsibility for making sure our partner can come to us always with something that's they're dealing with that sucks that that hurts or it makes them angry, sad, afraid, ashamed, embarrassed, anything. And then we're going to help them either either because we're, we have something literally we can do to like fix it, or if it's about something we can't do anything about, they, they at least don't have to feel like they have to battle this thing alone. Like, I care. You yeah. matter. I'm sorry you're doing this. Whatever I can do to be a support system for you while you're dealing with this hardship, I will. When you're that person that someone can always trust, they just think you have like this, like rock solid relationship that can withstand a father dying out of nowhere yeah. versus one that, that can't withstand that when that foundation isn't there. And then something really traumatic happens. It just, it's just a recipe for, for broken relationships and not because anybody's awful. It's just because we, we don't calculate for the amount of harm that's caused in our blind spots.
0: All right. I mean, we're all, at some example, we're all human, right? Yeah. You know, if, if you haven't had many uh, romantic relationships, you, serious romantic relationships in your life, you know, you, you get like one at bat at it, right? I mean, some people have one at bat and, and, you know, you don't learn, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily learn until you learn the hard way. And, and that's what I'm kind of hearing. You're kind of like, a, like a relationship Yoda right now. I think it's so funny. I wish I knew
1: different. how to do like the yeah, well, not, not necessarily the tone, but I don't know how to like reverse the words the way Yoda does. Oh, right. I wish I could do that on command because that's a clever skill. Right. Well, someday you
0: will, maybe. Uh, you <laughs> will someday. I don't know. Now I'm trying oh, to dude. do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so tell me, so how, how did the book come about? So you you kind of, you, you, called, a ther- you called a therapist drunkenly one night. Uh A <laughs> little liquid courage. Um, yeah. But so, so take me from that point, uh, where, where you realize that, okay, maybe I need a little help
1: to actually writing this book and helping others? There is a guy who used to coach and now he's a podcaster, a social media influencer. And he, um, in non-pandemic times, hosts like events. Um, his name is Marka Groves. He's based, I believe in Vancouver, Canada. I have a lot of respect for him and his work and I'd followed him for a while. And I don't actually know how I got him on the phone. I, I have no idea how I got him on the phone but I got him on the phone one day somehow and we're talking and he's sort of just serving as like a mentor for me. And um, he's like, Matt, you should coach. And I'm And Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm a divorced guy who blogs about it on the internet. You think married people are going to give me money like <laughs> to, to advise them. That's insane. Like that's insane. You know, that's like hiring the like 400 pound person to like help you like train for a marathon or something. Um, that sounds awful. I'm not trying to pick on people that have weight issues, but hopefully the metaphor is like stands. And yeah. Yeah. We'll go with the spirit
0: too. of the metaphor.
1: Thank you. Okay. Forgive me. <laughs> it's, I'm not trying to be awful to people who deal with weight issues um, really, truly. Um, so I ignored him for like a whole year. I didn't do anything he advised about a year later. We're back on the phone and I'm like, Mark, what do I do? Like, how do I grow? He's like, dude, coach. And I'm like, no, it sounds stupid. And he heard my reluctance. And he's finally like, Matt, listen. He's like, you're not on the yellow pages. You're not advertising. You're not putting up billboards that says you're a genius and everybody should hire you and not go to marriage counselors. They're on your website, reading your articles. Just hang the shingle that says, I'm available for these conversations if you want. And ironically, there was already like a person asking me to work with them. The the timing was such that, for about two weeks, this guy in the UK, um, what overseas was like, Matt, I really, you're the guy to help me understand what was going on. You, nobody says it like you say it. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm not saying I'm the best at it. I'm saying for him, I was the first person that made it make, make sense. And I get that because I had those moments too, with that book, how to improve your marriage without talking about it. It was like the first time it made sense to me. Anyway, I hung the shingle in like November, 2018. And so I coached for like 14 months and then in January of 2020 right before the pandemic like really like hit full force in the United States um the New York Times reached out to me out of nowhere I'm like at work and sitting in my cubicle doing corporate marketing the New York Times is like hey I'm a New York Times reporter I'd really like to talk to you I'm like oh my gosh this is amazing the New York Times and um I wrote him back I'm like yeah I'm interested and so she and I talked Uh, a writer named Jancy Dunn, who's a lovely writer and um, has written several books, um, children's books and relationship books herself. We did the interview and um, and then COVID like blew the hell up in the United States. And I'm like, oh, man, that story is never going to run because I was and I don't want to be sound so like greedy and selfish about it. But I was like, this is the biggest news story in history, like mathematically. And, And I know that might seem ridiculous today, I don't know if people remember the world changed in like 48 hours for Americans when like Tom Hanks caught it in Australia and uh, Rudy Gobert with the Utah Jazz and the NBA is like, we're done playing basketball for like the rest of the season. That was insane. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this, the world like changed overnight. Nobody's going to give a crap about like the divorced guy that like writes on the internet and coaches people. What we learned a few months later was that because everybody was locked down together, relationships were getting strained in these like nuanced ways that I talked about in this article. So they're like, Matt, we're gonna run this story. And in May, 2020, the New York Times ran that story and my life changed overnight. Within 48 hours, I had offers to make television. I had agents calling me and emailing me. Um, I finally agreed with the agents that I work with and they're wonderful. And they, I had a book contract in like, I don't know, two or three weeks. It was, it was insane how radical, like my life changed. Um, So by June, you know, this happened in May, by June, I had a book contract by September. I was able to leave my job and write the book. It took nine months and I don't know, here we are. It just came out a week ago. It's like, here we are.
0: And you were working, it sounds like you're working in corporate communications
1: or? Yeah, I just, I, corporate marketing specifically. Yeah, I was the editor of like a blog. Um, and, you know, I did like email marketing and I did uh, search engine optimization, things like that. Just a, like a regular office job. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Life-changing. That New York Times uh, article was life-changing for it's, you. It
1: was extraordinary. I got really, really lucky. And I don't take that for granted. So all of this is happening. I feel like in large part to that. And some people say, no, Matt, all of this is happening because for nine years, you've put yourself like out there on the internet something was like bound to occur, but I got a little injection from, from big media.
0: Has your, uh, has your wife read the book, your ex-wife?
1: Um, I honestly don't know. Okay. It, I mean, it's only been out seven or eight days. Yeah. I'm just I, curious. I, if, yeah. I, mean, do I don't you, know. Do you She's maintain a relationship with her? I mean, you Absolutely. have a co-parent. Yeah, we, so. we share a child. He's 13. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really proud of our relationship actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean the one thing that's people, a lot of people like ask me about it and I don't like to speak for her. She's been in a long-term relationship for like five years. You know, we've been apart nine years. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like, you know, four years after the fact, you know, she started a relationship that's lasted like up to this point. And I think he's an exceedingly decent guy who I can trust to be good to her, who I can trust to be good to my son. And I tell everybody, people might think that sounds weird to like compliment the guy that's with like your ex-wife, but I'm sorry. When you lose agency over your son, when you lose the ability to like influence like who he's with when you're not with him, there's something that's worth way more than money to me is believing he's safe in, in the hands of other adults. And so this guy is legit. He's a good dude. And, you know, I feel really, really fortunate that that's the situation. And so I'm, I practice all of these things. All these things I didn't do in our marriage, I still, they still show up in our co-parenting relationship. What I do and say still affects her. And I have to be mindful of that. I have to be considerate if my words and actions roll downhill and impact her. And we don't have a lot of conflict anymore. But in the off chance we do, I'm certainly not going to tell her she's wrong to feel the way that she feels. Um, I am an infinitely better co-parenting partner, and I show up for her more effectively than I ever did in marriage. And that's an indictment on me 10 years ago. But I also think it's a story that makes sense. Meaning I don't blame myself for being this awful human 10, 15 years ago. I'm just responsible for my actions. Therefore, the math result of what I did equaled no more relationship. And I really, I don't like the word blame. I think the word blame is really dangerous. I don't think this is anybody's fault. I just think it's everybody's responsibility. To, To value how other people experience us is a choice we get to make. And I think- the degree to which we do that and the discipline to which we practice that habitually with the people that we love and care about, that will reflect how much trust they have for us. And I think the amount of trust we have is the number one indicator of how good or bad our relationship is. Yeah. And now you're helping other
0: guys kind of through it before they get to the point, right, where, where their wives might walk out on them. I no. hope,
1: I think my writing does I get yeah. thanked for it. I hope that the book can do that. I really do, but not in my coaching work. In my coaching work, most of the guys are in like relationship dire straits. Got it. Before Got it. Got they're it. motivated. And I get it because even when my relationship was in dire straits, I still wouldn't have been like humble enough to reach out to somebody on the internet for help. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. No chance. No chance.
0: Well, I have a few questions for you specific uh, to, to well. These are questions I ask just about everybody who comes on here. Okay. I always like to try and find some common themes. Uh, they kind of range in their, um, uh, in their level of complexity. Uh, the first one shouldn't be too hard. Uh, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid?
1: When I was a kid? When
0: you were a kid. I didn't, watch a,
1: I didn't watch a lot of television when I was a kid. I, I, I didn't really like fall in love with TV until two things happened, DVR happened. So I got to fast forward advertisements. I didn't value that advertising finances, all this content at the time, which is a real shame. Um, And um, I thought the quality of the writing of TV got so good starting around the Sopranos period. Um, But when I was a kid, I liked reruns. I was a really conservative household. I wasn't allowed to like watch stuff. Like I wasn't allowed to watch what I wanted to watch probably. the, the most edgy thing I watched was the wonder years. I loved oh, that show. I mean that, that show was rough, man. That was, you know, I talk about that.
0: edginess. Uh, I'm kidding.
1: Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, no, seriously. But I mean, I'm serious. I watched like double yeah. dare on Nickelodeon. Oh my watched... gosh.
0: Who was the guy on double dare? Was that
1: um... uh Mark somebody Mark Mark, Sum-
0: Mark Summers? Was Mark, Mark Summers? Summers. Yeah. Mark Summers, yeah, yeah. not Harmon.
1: Excuse me, Mark Harmon. If you ever hear this. Mark yeah. Harmon. Yeah. Summer Mark school movie. Um, what did you
0: want to watch, though? Like you said, it was a was like religiously conservative or?
1: Yeah, yeah. All of all the ways conservative is, is how I grew up. But my mom, she's a lovely person. She really is. But she was like, she didn't want Jesus to frown upon all of the all of the things that I might be interested in. Um, <laughs> I liked MTV. I not necessarily like I thought MTV got gross like later with yeah. like some of the shows that were like. Exploitative. I don't know if that's how you say that word, actually. Yeah. Um, sure. Exploitive, exploitative. Um, I don't like them from a content standpoint. I don't think it, like, makes the world a better place. But back when it was just my favorite bands, like, making a cool video, I wanted to watch it. But my mom didn't approve of my affinity for Poison and Def Leppard. And,
0: I remember know. I was watching, um, I don't know if you remember the band White Lion. Of course. Um, Vito Brada, such an underrated guitar player from that era. But, um they had this like really beautiful song called when the children cry. And it was all about, you know, you know, it was basically a prayer. Um, And my mother walks in the room, not listening to any of the lyrics. And she looks at me and says, this is what's the matter with our world today, Michael (laughs) men with long hair. And then she like storms out of the room and I'm like, Oh my God.
1: Yeah. um, George Michaels. I want your sex. And and, virtually every Madonna video didn't do me any favors in my desire to you know i don't think the like a prayer video was uh
0: no that's something was my rough. mom
1: was comfortable with i think pepsi had a hard time with that one too because yeah. i think
0: they sponsored her tour and they caught a little backlash from it so from,
1: uh, I, I i was a little town twenty thousand people i went to catholic school it was a, it was a whole thing and so know, yeah. but anyway but whatever that's like that was what i wanted to do so you had the you had
0: the wonder years but you didn't have uh dallas or uh, wow. so my, my brother and I would always stay up late to watch Dallas because we like the theme song so much. That's hilarious. Um, and I don't the love, think, boat. love Boat was big with us
1: yeah. too. I, I, I was, yeah, I had to like watch older things because like Gilligan's Island and, and the monkeys and you know, Lassie <laughs> and uh, Dennis the menace. It was like, oh, I don't mean I had to, like she made me, but I mean, th- there weren't a lot of options that weren't like, modern, you know, anything modern and secular, mom side eyed. Yep. I don't want to, I don't want to be little. My mother's fine. And she's been great <laughs> ever since I like became 18, 19 years old. Yeah. She she wasn't in my business. But so long as I was in her house, no, she wanted me to be on the straight and narrow. It didn't work out very well. Well, uh you you
0: kind of answered this before, but um uh if we were following you around as a teenager, what do you have in your walkman in terms of cassettes or CDs or 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 albums even? Uh, what were you listening to
1: as a teenager um I I mean that I I loved when like Seattle happened to music when Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Nirvana happened um that was maybe my favorite era of music in the context of my life and I even liked all like the the like the one-off bands that came after them like Gin Blossoms and Mm -hmm. just everything I'm trying to there's so many like I, I heard Four Non-Blondes, um, the song What's Up. Like, oh, it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. only Four non-blonde song. Or yeah. like Blind Melon, like No Rain. I loved all that. That was so great. It was like my favorite time in music. So I, I See, was, it was like early CDs, though. It wasn't for me. I'm 43. So I graduated high school in 1997. Yeah. And so, like, I, it was like more CDs for me when I was listening to that stuff than like the cassette era.
0: The cassettes. Yeah, now I remember Um, I was, I was totally into the hair bands. Yeah, yeah, loved, loved um, and and but then you know Nirvana Nevermind comes out and I'm like, what is this? Like this was just the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And that was like the nail in the coffin for for Poison and Motley Crue and Def Lever. those bands are having like a like a great nostalgia resurgence right now. But um
1: can can I share something with you? Sure. Are, are you familiar with a band called Hardcore Superstar? I do not know Hardcore Superstar. Please make a note of this and go check out they have a brand new album that's like coming out right now. And but the best one is the 2018 album. It was featured on the HBO Max show Peacemaker, mm-hmm. which that James Gunn who does Guardians of the Galaxy and, and the new Suicide Squad, he loves like that 80s style music. So they're a brand new modern day band based out of Sweden, but they play that same sound that we loved from, from, from the 80s. And I'm telling you, it's like really good.
0: Yeah. Like, now I'm think, gonna I'm
1: gonna check them out. I think you'll love it. And and I strongly encourage you to check that out. I but think that'll be the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Yeah, I, absolutely. I saw a Tesla uh, this past summer in New York City and they had some new hard rock band open up for them who sounded great. And my, cool. my buddy and I listened to their CD because we bought it at the, after Do you remember the show. The name? I can't remember the name. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, they were really good though. I'm like, I, wow, this, these I, guys are great.
1: It's like this era of music right now where it's new bands, but they like play classic rock and or older rock sounds like Greta Van Fleet and mm-hmm. the Glorious Sons. I don't know if people have heard of them, but I think those two bands are fantastic. They've got that 70s classic and or Southern rock sound and um, it's so good, yet they're making the albums like right now. I think that's cool.
0: I will, um, I'll see if I can dig up that name of that band before the end of our conversation. I just shout a note to my buddy. Uh, but I want to be respectful of your time. We've got a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, next is... Um how do you feel when you are looking at a blank piece of paper or a you know blank computer screen intending to write something so that the task at hand is you need to write something how do you feel when you're just looking at that blank piece of paper
1: um what's interesting is today is so different than it used to be um today if I'm being like honest at real time I never thought about this before i feel so much pressure now today after having written about stuff for 9 years in fact if you look at the the post like the dates of when my blog posts go you'll see that for the past two or three years i've written extremely sporadically um where i was writing damn near every single day back in like 2014 2015 i'm not kidding like at least like six days a week thousand to two thousand words a day it was extraordinary how like proficient i was and how many words were just like spilling out on the page and it was impressive even to me and today I get hung up on, I, can I say something new and original that matters? All right. I, I don't, I don't know. It's so hard. And I'm so far removed from like the pain of my relationship. Like it, it, it doesn't feel like the acute pain isn't there anymore. I'm, I'm largely healed I, yeah. And in the context and the hurt fueled me so much to write. So anyway, I feel pressure. I feel intimidated okay. because and there's more judgment now than ever, not literally. I don't know that people would judge me, but it's like my neurotic, insecure projections. I'm like, I feel like if I don't write something that connects on this like deeply emotional, insightful level, that it's not worth writing. And so I don't know, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, it's
0: like you're, you're, you're psyching yourself out about I, it. I do it all the time now, yeah. <laughs> um, now this next question could lead you to uh, maybe provide some fodder for some future blog posts, but- good. What lessons about dating after divorce do you feel like you learned the hard way?
1: (laughs) If I'm allowed to slightly joke about it, uh, don't date someone who's like a mom at your kid's school. (laughs) Like, you definitely don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Well, because like, you'll see them in theory, I lucked out. Um, and first of all, she's totally sweet. But the first like woman I dated after my marriage ended was a mom of another kid in my son's kindergarten class. And she threw a birthday party and invited like all the class to show up. And she was the hostess of the party, and I'm like, oh, her. And I asked one of her friends, I'm like, hey, that one. I'm like, I, is, like is there like a husband or a boyfriend in the picture? And they are like, no. Oh, no,. Like I'm definitely gonna like be brave and talk to her. And so, like it was a day. It was like my first act of like in-person courage that didn't involve like online dating, but I hadn't considered that if the relationship doesn't go well, or when you go to things with your ex-wife to to see your son at like a Christmas pageant or something, like they're all there together and it sucks and you don't want any part of it. So a piece of advice is don't date other parents from your kid's class. If you're a single parent, I think that's, that's helpful.
0: I mean, did you go on? Um, and this is going to be a stereotypical question, but did yeah. you go on a little bit of a tail, a tear after after you know the divorce and when you were newly single? I mean, or or were you You know, you used the word conservative before. You were yeah. conservative to your approach with no, 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 no,
1: no. no. <laughs> it wasn't that. It, it certainly, I would say, it, a lot depended on a lot. Um, the thing I learned was like vulnerable honesty. And my favorite thing about myself after divorce was I wasn't afraid at the first or the second conversation we had at the dinner table or the date to just throw out all of my stuff that sucks and lay it all out there. I was, and it it took a while, by the way, this didn't happen like a week after my divorce. This was my wife left on April 1st, 2013. And this woman that was like the other parent that hosted the birthday party I just talked about, that was like the following January. Yeah. So it took, what was that like eight, nine months before I even like dip my toes in that water. Um, it just took a long time. I didn't feel like ready. I don't know. It was a lot going on there, but, um, what happened was a lot of people were interested in a relationship and I was not ready to say to a human being, I choose you as this loyal, committed relationship, because to me, it felt like engagement to do that. Yeah. Like on the back end of divorce, where we all have kids, usually we're all previously divorced with children in almost every instance, like the pressure of, I promise I'm your person and we're going to be loyal and like be one another's like boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever. That, that seemed really scary to me. And also just logistics were a huge problem. Like a huge problem. Like when two young single people want to hang out together, they can do so virtually every day of the week. When you're two parents who have to juggle work and parenting schedules, and we, no one has ever met my son. It's nine years later. Nine years later, I've not introduced anybody to my son. Yeah. And that's not fair. They've met like briefly, but they weren't, it wasn't like, hey, son, here's the woman I date, woman (laughs) I date, here's my son, know each other and let's all form a relationship. It hasn't been like that at all. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, I took really seriously the fact that if it doesn't work out, there's a bunch of like broken hearts and I didn't want to lose like her kids or I didn't want my son to experience more loss. I don't know. It's so different now. It's nine years later. It's fine. It's fine.
0: It's all It's all fine. It's fine. Uh, um, so the book is uh, newly out. This is how your marriage ends. A hopeful approach to saving relationships. Uh, Matthew, where can people go to pick up uh, this book?
1: Um, My home on the internet is matthewfray.com that's matthew with two t's and f-r-a-y um the book can be found anywhere books are sold i believe in north america just about any place you can imagine that you can buy a book i think you can find it um and it comes out in the united kingdom tomorrow pretty excited about that as of this recording um it comes out on march 31st in the united kingdom okay. and so i'm excited about like having like a second book launch That's really cool and then um from a social media standpoint people can connect with me via matthewfair.com if they want to. And I try really hard not to like ask people to do that. What I want to encourage people to do is consider, do you have things happening in your relationship that feel a little unhealthy, a little dysfunctional, a little painful, and you sort of can't like wrap your head around it. You have a difficult time explaining what's wrong. Then I believe these issues live in what I generically refer to as like the invisible places. And the, the thing I would I would give my book credit for is I think it provides insight into those invisible places, those, those non-obvious places to look at and consider, could that be the reason she or he is feeling all of these things that they're claiming to feel? And I feel so defensive and so like misunderstood. It's it's not because you're bad, it's because you're accidentally triggering pain. And you can learn how to accidentally, or I should say intentionally not trigger that pain. Right.
0: The Invisible Places. I love that. I think that's a good one to end on. So Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with
1: me today. I appreciate it. It's really awesome to meet you. I hope you check out that band. Thank you so much for this opportunity.